actually done. Go to Matthew 28. Let's go straight to the point. <laughs> Let's go straight to the point. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but you guys can go ahead of me and, and wait at, at, at Matthew 28 there for a second. What I want to talk about this morning is I want to have a look at this issue of mission. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? It's an important question um, with a lot of answers. Yeah, I was thinking this morning about the church. What is? And when I say the church, I'm talking corporately. Okay, Within the corporate purpose of the church are a whole bunch of individual purposes that all kind of line up towards one big purpose. The church is a bit like an onion. I was thinking of Shrek this morning. Remember that scene where, where, where Donkey says to Shrek, uh, uh, what are ogres like or something? And, and, and Shrek goes, we're like onions. And he goes, ah, oh, you smell and you make people cry. And then, no, 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 we've got layers. We've got layers. And the mission of the church is a bit like an onion. There are many, many layers to what the church corporately is called to do in planet Earth. There are a lot of things that if we go into the Word of God, we can see there are lots of different uh, things, expressions, fruits is probably a better way to put it, of uh, the church and the things that we do in society. <laughs> However, as we go into the Word of God and we have a look, it's hard to miss the fact that there's one overarching emphasis and mission that we are called to, that everything else becomes subservient to. Now, I want you to hear clearly what I'm saying today. I don't want anyone walking out of this room and misrepresenting what I'm saying. Okay, so go with me. Listen to me before you get up and walk out and say Alan's a heretic and Alan doesn't care for the poor or Alan doesn't care for the hungry. It's, that, that's completely not true and that's not what I'm getting at. I coach sporting teams. It's a little bit like this. When I, when I coach sporting teams, I've got a whole bunch of individuals. I've coached uh, rugby league and touch football and and when I approach my coaching, what I do is the first thing we do is we select the team. We get the players that turn up and they trial and they get in. And then once they're there, we have an overriding goal. The goal is that we would win the grand final, that we would win the, the make it through the whole, uh, whether it be the season or the tournament, whatever, we would make it to the final and we would win. That's the goal. When everybody turns up and they start training, they understand we're not training to come second. We're not putting in all this time and energy so that we can finish fifth. Okay? We are there to do the best we can and the ultimate goal we're aiming for is to win, to get that gold medal. That's why we're here. Now, within that context, we are all training for the same purpose, but everybody in that team plays in different positions on the field. Okay? So they're not all the same. Not everybody has the great passing game. Not everybody has the same leg speed. Not everybody has the same size and muscle to bust through the the defensive line. Everybody in that team has talents and gifts and abilities that they bring. But when they bring those talents, gifts and abilities to the team, what they do is they bring those talents, those gifts, those abilities, they all come together, but they all join together under the banner of one common purpose, and that is to win the gold. That's why we are here. And the church is a bit like that. We're all different people. We all have different individual giftings. We all have different individual roles. We all have different individual purposes, things that that we contribute, that we can do. Not everybody is a pastor or a preacher. Not everybody can stand up front, open up the Word of God and unpack it in a way that it actually makes sense 
And you go home and go, oh, yeah, I get the point, I can achieve it. Not everybody is an evangelist, although we're all called to evangelize. Not everyone's a teacher, but the Bible says we should all teach. Not everyone's a prophet, but the Bible does say we should all prophesy. Okay? Not everybody is everything. We all have those things. Some of us have hearts this big, and all you want to do is wrap them around the poor and the needy and those who are brokenhearted and, and patch them up and put them... And that's, that's you. That's how you're made. That's your gifting. That's your wiring. Some people have a heart. It looks like it's that big. I'm probably one of those people. If you got around me, you'd probably think I didn't have a heart. I do care for people, but it's just not my primary drive. My primary drive is more on the evangelistic side of things. But I do care for people. I do love people, and I do want to see people set free and made whole. <laughs> okay? But some people can sit down and talk to you for hours about your pet chihuahua that passed away when you were seven and how that really emotionally impacted your life. People are gifted to do that and you need to unpack that and people need to listen and if it will help you and set you free, God's got people and opportunity and things there to help you walk out your freedom that way. I'm just not wired that way. It's not necessarily my gift. Okay? See what I'm saying? We're all different, but we all bring something incredibly important to the table. And the mission of the church has many, many facets and layers. But there's one overriding layer, one overriding mission that everything else needs to come subservient to. My fear, particularly in the West, as I look around the Western church world, I have a little fear that somewhere in the midst of the needs that are out there, that maybe, just maybe, we're in danger of losing sight of the overarching purpose, the overarching mission of the church. So I want to have a look at that this morning. So I want to clarify, I'm not anti-anything. I'm for everything. But what I want to do today is just try to reline everything up and have a look at what is the overarching mission of the church. What is the overriding vision? You all know where I'm going with this because you've already turned to Matthew 28. But I want us to see this. I want us to go on a bit of a journey. (laughs) A couple of my favourite scriptures, and I don't expect you to turn here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is Jesus' encounter when he calls his first group of disciples. Time's come. Jesus realises it's now time for me to step out into this public ministry that God has for me. It's now time to to step into the purpose and call of God. By the way, when Jesus was carpenting, he was in the purpose and will of call of God. He didn't just suddenly get in the call of God at about age 30 or whatever when he went out in his public ministry and for three years was in the will of God doing what... He was doing what God wanted him to do when he was making tables for his mum. When he was pulling out splinters after a hard day's work. He was in the will of God, smack bang right there. He was in a season, then it changed to another season, and we all know he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life so that those of us that have no connection with God can stand free and clean before the Father because of what Jesus did for us. That's the overriding vision. That's how he ended his life. That's what he came for. But there are different seasons and so on for that as well. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, we've got the story of when Jesus calls his first disciples, and here's what he says in verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to jump over really quickly now to uh, Mark. Mark chapter 1. We'll read another verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. 
The same story from Mark's perspective. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. In Luke chapter 5, we have another version of a similar event. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Four fishermen called and they go out and they fish and Jesus says, launch your net on the other side and they do and they catch all these fish and they come flying back into shore. And Jesus says this to them. He says, do not be afraid in verse 10. From now on, you'll catch who? Men. From now on, you'll catch men. From the very inception of Jesus beginning to call people. Now, this is the beginning of what I guess we would call the New Testament church. This is the foundations. This is how it's all about to start. The grand scheme of God, the grand plan is beginning. Jesus has had a tap on the shoulder from the Holy Spirit. Lay down your hammer. Lay down your chisel. It's time. And Jesus goes out and he starts calling people to follow him. But he doesn't just say, follow me in a passive way. He says, follow me because I'm going to make something of you. Follow me and I'm going to make something of you. Not follow me as a passive observer. Follow me because I have intention about what I am doing. Follow me because I want you to be an active participant in something. And Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. Your commitment is to follow Christ. That's, that's, that's our number one call, is to keep our eyes fixed firmly on God and to follow Jesus. That's our call. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That always comes first. And then the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. Here's what I've learned. If I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, I will naturally love my neighbour like myself. If I'm trying to love my neighbour like myself, but I'm not putting God first, things get awkward. Things get a bit twisted and a bit messed up. Our primary call has always been and will always be to love God first. Put God first in your life. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter what your calling giftings are, make sure that Christ is the centre of your world. Keep him as the central focus of your life. That was our first and foremost calling. And that's what Jesus said to these disciples. Your job is to follow me. I'm going somewhere. I didn't stand behind me because I'm not standing still. I said, follow. Let's go. And if you follow me and put your eyes on me and follow me, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. I'm going to make you that. That's God's commitment to you. If you are truly following Jesus, then he is at work in your world and he's making something out of you. Whatever it is that you are doing, whatever your gifts call, whatever, the overarching thing that he's creating out of you is a fisher of men. He is turning you into a fisher of men. Now these guys would have understood what that meant. You know, that, anyone that goes fishing knows that there's a bit of planning involved in fishing. You know, you don't just get up and, and hope for the best. Some people do. But these guys were fishermen by trade. So they knew there was planning, there was preparation. They knew that you didn't go fishing without focus and intent and purpose. And that's what they understood when Jesus said this, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In other words, I'm going to make fishing of men something of intent for you, something of purpose for you, something that you will focus on, something that that you will know that you'll know when you get up in the morning that this is a part of me. This is what I'm called to do. This is where my life is heading now that I'm following Christ, to be involved in this process of fishing for and catching men. These guys would have understood that. They were called to be active participants 
in Christ's mission, not just passive bystanders. So when we have a look at this and we come back to the original question, what is the mission of God on the earth? What is the mission of the church? Because the mission of the church is the mission of God. What is God doing? What is the overarching vision and mission and purpose? You know, when Jesus was here, he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he clothed the naked, he did all that sort of stuff. But how many of you know that all those things that he did were signs pointing to something bigger? He did all those things to get people's attention on their need for God. The overarching purpose and reason, Jesus didn't come just to do a few healing party tricks. I'm just going to heal a few people because that'd be cool, wouldn't it? There was purpose and intent in why he did what he did. There was purpose and intent on why he broke bread and fed thousands of people. There was purpose and intent on why he said, cast your net on the other side. I'm going to do what it takes to get your attention on the real issue. And the real issue is, do you know me? Do you know me? Have you reconnected with God through the death, burial and the resurrection of Jesus? That was the real overriding mission (laughs) and issue. The good works that Jesus did were born as fruit of the effectiveness of his mission, not the mission itself. And this is one of the things that we need to understand when we look at, as a corporate body, what is the main purpose and thrust of the church these days. John 13, verse 33 to 35, uh, 13, 34, 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Interesting, interesting, by this we'll all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in other words, you'll be a disciple first and then you'll have love for one another. But you'll be a disciple first. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. They'll look and go, look at the love that these people have. Look at the charitable deeds that they do. Look at the 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 the, the homeless and the way they care for them. Look at how they feed the hungry. Look at all the social work stuff that they do. And as they look at all that, they will know that you were disciples first. Discipleship came first. Discipleship comes first. In other words, we get connected with God first. When we are connected with God, things change in our world. Our, our vision of life changes. Our perspective changes. God begins to set us free. We've talked about freedom in the last few weeks. Freedom is not the, the authority or the right to do whatever you want. Freedom is the spirit-powered ability to do what is right. That's true freedom. To be able to do what is right in any given moment, that's freedom. Most of us struggle to do what's right because we've got so much baggage, anger and bitterness and disappointments and hurts and so much stuff that stops us from responding right in any given situation. And that's part of freedom is God wants to set us free, help us deal with that stuff, strip it away and so on, so that when I'm in any given situation, it doesn't matter how you respond to me, what you say, what you do, I will have the Holy Spirit-powered ability to respond correctly to you in that given moment, to respond correctly to the needs around me in any given moment, free of judgment, free of criticism. I won't sit back and go, well, you're in that situation because blah, 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 blah. 
That may be true, but is God looking at that person that way saying, well, you're in that situation because of blah, 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 I'm not going to help you? I don't know. Because I've got too much baggage and stuff in there to even really hear what he's saying at that time. So that's freedom. He's getting clear of all this stuff. But the point is this. Discipleship comes first, and out of discipleship, all the other stuff, loving one another, is a fruit. So in other words, loving one another is not the mission of the church. It's a fruit of being effective in the real mission of the church. Which in Matthew 28 is made very clear when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. You see, the making of disciples is the mission of the church. All the good stuff we do is simply a fruit that flows out of doing the primary mission effectively. If we are doing the primary mission effectively, all the other stuff will happen. All the other stuff will flow out of that. Let me tell you something. People will pat you on the back for feeding the poor. They will do it. Because everybody knows, whether you're Christian or not, that there are poor people out there and they need to be fed. Society will pat you on the back for doing that. They'll put you up on a pedestal. They'll give you awards. They'll. And you know what? I have no problem with that. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I have no problem with that. If your clothes are naked, they'll pat you on the back. They'll give you government grants. They'll put you up on a pedestal. They'll say, wonderful. This, this, church, is a real, real, this church is a real church. Why? Because they're doing social works. This church is a real church because they're caring for the needs of people and so on. I'm all for that. I'm not against it. Okay? Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. This church, they give shelter to the homeless. All this sort of stuff, it can make you really popular. It'll make everybody in the community like you, get their attention and so on. And it's all wonderful and it's great and I have nothing wrong with it. But understand this, the mission of the church, firstly, is not to right every wrong in society. It's not the mission of the church to right every wrong in society. You won't find anywhere in the Bible where us as individuals, as a corporate group, are told, go into your community and find everything that is wrong and it's your job to fix everything that is wrong. That is an unnecessary pressure. It doesn't come from God. It's very humanistic in the way that we think about it, actually. And it's not the mission of the church. Make it very clear in your head, your heart, your mind. There's no guilt tripping here just because you see a a problem or a need. I mean, the amount of times I have heard people in my years in ministry come up and go, there's this need in society. And people come up and say, your church, why aren't we doing anything about it? My response to them is, well, why aren't you doing anything about it? Don't look to the church as a corporate body saying it's all... Use all our funds, our time, our energy, our resources and guilt everybody into doing something. If it's on your heart and it's a fruit in your heart of your discipleship in Christ, then why don't you do something about that need? It can be so easy for the church to get sidetracked into doing a whole bunch of really, really good things, but are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the primary mission? Are we focused on the primary vision? It's not the mission of the church to right every wrong in society. Secondly, it's not the mission of the church to meet every need in your community. It's not our mission to meet every single need in the community. If God speaks to you to do that, great, do it. Holy Spirit leads you. You know why? Because you've got a church of people that love the Lord and they're on the discipleship path and they're committed to Christ, they're looking at Christ and God taps you on the shoulder and says there's a need in your community, I really wish you could do something about it and you get a heart to do it. As a church, they will support you and and go, great, no worries, but... That's a vision, a mission, that's something that God's called you, equipped you, put on your heart to do. Great, go for it. No worries. But how many of you know if you run around looking for community needs, there are hundreds of them. There are all kinds of needs in this community, in this state, in this nation, in the world. 
I could get next Sunday, if you want, a hundred missionaries who will stand up here in front of you and each one of them will tell you that their nation has more needs than the other 99 nations. And you know what? They're probably right. There are all kinds of needs out there. But the mission of the church, primary mission, is not to meet every need in the community. And thirdly, the primary mission of the church is not to change the culture. It's not the church's responsibility or mission to go out there and to change the culture. Now let me tell you something. Community needs do get met by effective churches. They do. They find the place that God has for them, the people that God has given them, the heart that's there, and they do get involved in community needs. Effective churches do play a role in righting some wrongs in society. It happens. And effective churches do have an impact over time on aspects of culture. They do. But these things are fruits of performing the actual mission effectively. When we perform the actual mission of the church effectively, all these other things are fruits. We don't want to focus on the fruit and get caught up with all the fruits to the point where we neglect the overarching mission and call of the church. Let me tell you something. There are other groups out there, non-Christian groups, that are feeding the hungry. There are non-Christian groups that are clothing the naked and doing a fantastic job. There are non-Christian groups out there that are uh, 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 setting up homeless. There are non-Christian groups out there doing amazing, fantastic social work stuff being led and held up by people who, who have degrees and have studied and are doing a great job and have a, a call. Believe it or not, they have a call of God on their life to do that. They just might not have connected with Jesus yet, but there's a, it's, like used, it's like used car salesmen. They're unsaved evangelists. That's what they are. They'll sell you a car. They're unsaved. Get them saved and they'll, they'll spruik Jesus the same way they spruik cars. You know? A lot of school principals. I look at a lot of school principals and you're an unsaved pastor. The heart you have for the kids and the parents and the unsaved pastor. Just got to get you connected up with God and get that gift being used for his glory. It'd be amazing. But there are great groups out there doing all these things. Let me tell you something there's no non-church group out there doing. Preaching the gospel. You know, there's only one club in the world that's going to do that. You know, there's only one group of people on planet Earth that are going to do that. The church, you and me. The overarching mission and vision of the church has been and always needs to remain the preaching of the gospel. Now, I want to I want to stay on this topic for a few weeks here, so don't panic and, and, and start thinking that I think everyone should be an evangelist. I'm not saying that you should be telling to every person you sit next to on a train or a plane and leading them to Jesus. I'm, I mean, I've sat through the seminars and read the books and there's so much unrealistic stuff out there where people will tell you about the, the, the you know, two experiences on a plane where they sat next to someone and prayed for them and they got healed and the spirit moved and they started weeping and crying and gave their heart to the Lord on the plane and so on. They didn't tell you about the other 1,375 people they sat next to and they actually turned their back and read their book because they were too tired to talk. That's just the reality of it, all right? So this is not about guilting or anything like that. This is about today just having a look at and getting on the same page and realising that the church has a mission. If we don't understand that there is a mission from God for the church, we will gravitate to whatever mission feels the most comfortable for us. We will. 
We will gravitate to that which is most comfortable. If I'm sitting in my chair and I'm uncomfortable, what do I do? I've got two options. I either shift around in that chair till I find a comfortable position and go, right, this is comfortable. Or I get up out of that chair and I'll just go find another chair that's more comfortable. You see it a lot with churches. I don't like this church anymore. Why don't you like this church? It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, you know what? Ask God the question. Is it a good uncomfortable or is it not? If, if, if people want to be a part of this church, I want everybody to understand right from the inception. I mean, we've gone for a few months now, but early on, we have a mission from God. I didn't make it up. Jackie didn't make it up. Jim White didn't make it up. Vanessa didn't make it up. Jesus commissioned his followers. Right back when he called his very first disciples, he said, I want you to follow me because I have a plan. I'm going to turn you into fishers of men. I want to give you a purpose and an intention because God has a vision for society, for humanity, for time. And all throughout time, I want to make sure that this message of the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is out there for all to hear. And nobody else is going to carry that message into the future except for the church. And we are at great risk of getting sidetracked into all kinds of other emphases that are good emphases, all kinds of works that are good works, but we are in real danger of getting to that point where we're more known for all this stuff and we don't want to preach the gospel anymore because it's maybe a little bit offensive, maybe a little bit unpopular, maybe it might turn people away, maybe it's not seeker-friendly, but people need to hear about Jesus. People need to hear about the cross. It's not an option for the church. Matthew chapter 28. 18 to 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lying with you even to the end of the age. Yes, he did say, teaching them to obey all things I commanded you. And, and, and people, yeah, see, well, Jesus commanded us to look after the sick. Yes, he did. But what happens first? He said, first, make him a disciple. First, make them a disciple. And then, when they are obeying everything that I'm commanding them, it's a fruit of the fact that you have been effective in preaching the gospel and seeing people come to faith in Christ. When you're effective at doing that, then the works that are done are a fruit of the effectiveness of the actual mission, not a sidetracking. Now, here's the promise of God. When we get on the page with God and we make his mission our mission and we keep that as the primary thing, He promises that the power of God will be with us. It's a promise. He promises these signs shall follow those who believe. Mark 16, 15, 18. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. To preach means to to herald, to officiate. You remember what a herald used to do? They used to stand in the streets and ring a bell, get everyone's attention. They weren't embarrassed. They made sure that everybody got a chance to hear the message they had to tell them. Everyone, you need to hear, the king's coming through on his horse. Line the streets. Throw your rose petals, whatever it is. Whatever the message was, his job was to make sure they heard. Jesus said that to his followers. Now, I'd imagine that Jesus picked his words really well here. Because he was about to ascend and go up to heaven and send the Holy Spirit down. I don't think he was just going, well, look, you know what, my chariot... Doesn't arrive for another half hour, so I've got to kill some time here. What can I say? Um, how about you just go into all the world and tell people what I've done, teach them to teach, you know, stuff I taught. Okay, sweet. Anyway, 
You know, and when you and when you run out of things to say and you've got extra time, you do what every preacher does. Well, let, let, I just feel like we should pray. Jesus has thought about this and thought about this and thought about this from the very inception when he first called those disciples and said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And three years later, his death, burial, resurrection, then he comes back and they see him and before he ascends, he says, I've got one last thing to tell you. And this will make sense because when I tell you this, you're going to look back on the last three years and go, we, that's exactly what it's been about. It's all been leading to this moment. Jesus was the message. His death, burial, resurrection is the message that the church has. It's the one message that nobody's going to proclaim except for you and me. Nobody's going to go out there and proclaim it in the manner and the form in which God wants it proclaimed apart from the church. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And that's my message. Jesus is alive. He was the message. And it wasn't until after he had put the final full stop on it after he had died, been buried and resurrected that he could then say to the disciples go and now preach the message because now you know the message, the message is finished, the sentence has been written, the final full stop has been put in place, now you know what you're to talk about, so go and tell the world what you have experienced go tell the world go into all the world, and here's what it says in Mark go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, he who believes and is baptised will be saved he who does not believe will be condemned. Again, he who believes will be baptized. He who does not believe. It's their choice. It says in Romans, Paul writes this amazingly simple sequence, step upon step. How can they hear unless someone tells them? How can they believe unless they hear? Hear what? The gospel message. The death, burial and the resurrection of Jesus. People need to hear it. But what I love is this. He says those who believe and are baptised will be saved. Those who do not believe uh, will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow. Not they might, not they could. He said they will. These things are going to happen. Keep your focus. Keep your mission. Go hard with the mission. And when you focus on the mission of God and you make the overarching mission of God your mission, when you walk that way and you live that way, he makes this promise. He says, in my name, I'll cast out demons. I'll speak with tongues, take up serpents, blah, 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 blah. He promises this. If you keep to the mission and don't get sidetracked, my promise to you is that I will give you the power that you read about, the power that you come to church every Sunday and you go, where is it? Why aren't we seeing it anymore? When the missionary comes from overseas, we all want to go and hear when he talks about the healing. You know what I've, I've learned? I've spent a bit of time working with the church in the West and I've spent time working with the church in developing nations as well. There is a big difference. It's the same God, same people with the same needs, same struggles. But there's a very big difference. They're not so caught up in everything else. Their faith is very simple. They meet in India on a cow poo floor. In the morning, someone will get wet cow poo and... And then it'll, it'll dry within two days and then you sit there with a candle. We don't have big sound systems. We didn't have TV screens. We don't have, we don't have social welfare things that if someone comes in with a need, I will direct you to this person. They, we, they got nothing but Jesus, the message of the cross and the power of God. That's all they have. They live every day, every moment with an awareness that I am only here because of God. And everything they do flows out of the realisation 
that we are now called to take that message, what has impacted our life, we have a responsibility now as disciples of Jesus to share that with other people. And it doesn't have to be weird. Don't get caught up on the fact that I'm saying we need to share our faith. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. It's not weird. It's not to wig people out. I'm not saying that everyone should be running around. It's not that. Don't get caught up on that. Focus on what we're talking about. The overarching issue of the church is the preaching of the gospel. If we understand that and we live our Christian life that way, the promise of God is that that is where you will see the power of God flow. When the gospel message is central, that is where you see the power of God. That is where you see healings. That is where you see miracles. Because Jesus performed all these things for one reason only, to get them to understand the message. They were signs. They're called signs for a reason because they point to something else other than themselves. They point to something else other than themselves. Again in Luke 24, verse 46 to 49, we've got the same thing. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, waiting in Jerusalem. It's the same thing. The very last thing he's telling them is this. The mission of the church, you guys are the nucleus, the beginning of this thing called the New Testament church. I want you to know right from the beginning your primary function, your primary purpose is to go into all the world and tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. The cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Keep it at the centre. And my fear is that if we're not careful, so many other things become more central and more focused and take up more of our time and take up more of our energy and more of our giftings and more of our money and all this sort of stuff. And please hear what I'm saying. They are good things that need to be done, but they need to be done as fruit of the effectiveness of the primary vision. The primary vision of the church has not changed. I know that because nowhere in here does does God say that it changes, and this is where we get our mandate from, the word of God. Paul said this to the Galatians. He said, I came and I preached to you the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. There it is again, it's all through the Bible. And he said, if even an angel or any other spiritual being comes and preaches anything other than that as the central focus, let him be cursed. Let him be cursed. It's the gospel message, the cross, that has to be the central overarching theme and focus of the church. Mark 16, 20. After Christ had commissioned them, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. God works with people, churches. God works with us when we work with him. He has an agenda. He has an overriding mission. If we want to get caught up on stuff over here and get caught up in all kinds of other things and lose focus on the central theme, he will let us do it. He will let us do it. But I'm telling you now, the promise of God to see the power of God is when we're standing in the middle of his mission where he wants us to be. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and I'll be with you till the end of the age. There's a promises. The scripture is full of promises that when we focus on and keep the central theme of the mission of God as the central mission of the church, that we will see these things happen. We will see a church like the churches that we dream about and so on. 
When a church gets sidetracked away from its primary mission of preaching the death, burial and the resurrection of Jesus, it becomes in danger of losing connection with the miracle-working power of God. We become just another club, another social welfare group. I don't want to be another social welfare group. I don't want people to walk in here just because, well, I was told you'll give me money and you guys will feed me. I was in a, you know, in a church recently and I was preaching and at the end of the service I did an altar call and, you know, I don't do altar calls and get people up. I don't, it's not the way I do it because between you and God, I don't care whether you put your hand up, whether you stand in front of people, cry, shake, whatever. It's about your relationship with God and, so anyway, at the end of it, a guy came up and he wanted prayer, opened up for prayer and he came up and I knew straight away. Straight away what he wanted. All he wanted was money because he had the impression that if you go to church, then that's what the church does. The church gives you money. So I up the front, oh, brother, can you pray for me? I've got so many financial needs and oh, I've got no money and the car's broken down and i you know, got no food and I can't. This, like, and, and look, I've got no problem with people who are genuine like that and if the Spirit of God... You know, I had it. I've got a big enough of a heart to help people like that. No drama. But I knew straight away this is what you think the church is about. It's like Peter and John walking to the temple, and the lame man looking up at them and going, "Give me money." Unfortunately, today though, we probably more say, "Well, silver and gold, we got tons of." So there you go. Here's a couple of bucks, and I'll keep going to church. Wouldn't it be great to get back to that place? where they looked at that and said, silver and gold, we don't have lots of it. And I don't care if you've got silver and gold, by the way. If you've got a choice between having silver and gold and not having silver and gold, have it. It's way better. Right? It's way better. But the point is, it's the power of God. And it's promised to those who stay focused and engaged on the mission. Let me finish with this. I'll just join some dots here. Number one, fact number one, we're all going to leave this earthly body. Am I a heretic or is that true? That's true. We're all going to leave this earthly body. Fact number two. We're all going to live outside our body in one of two destinations. Am I a heretic yet or am I still biblical? Are you with me? Leads me to fact number three. (laughs) One destination is painted as a place of peace and rest. Are we good so far? Fact number four. The other is not painted in such a great way. And by the way, rich people can end up there. Poor people can end up there. You can clothe a person for the rest of his life, he can still end up there. You can feed the hungry till he's fat and have an eight meals a day. He can still end up there. You can social work and welfare and meet every need and scratch every itch of every human being on planet Earth they can still end up there. Which leads me to five. If I believe the first four, then how can the communication of the gospel not hold a preeminent position in the life of my church? I'm not into guilting people because it doesn't work for anything in life, guilting. And Jesus doesn't guilt us either. This is not about, I want you to hear what I'm saying today. This message, and I preface it at the start, is not about individuals. I'm not speaking about individuals. I'm speaking about corporately as the church. As the church. The next coming few weeks, I want to break it down a bit more. What does that look like for each of us and our personalities and who we are and 
and, and maybe look at that a bit more. But what I want us to understand is that the church has many, many arms and many, many layers and many, many things that we can open up this word of God and go, uh, Alan, the Bible says we should be doing this. The Bible says, yes, 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 and amen, it's there. But what we need to understand is there's an overarching vision that is preeminent over all of those things. And that is that we, as a church, proclaim the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, as the only way to true freedom, as the only way to spiritual life. You with me? Amen? Quite this way. Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, this morning, God. I want to thank you again, uh, Lord, for your presence with us. I want to thank you for your word, God. And Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that when you saved us, that you saved us for a reason, God. And that reason was not that we could just go to heaven, Father. That is just the beginning. Father, you told us to follow you, Lord. And you said you would make us into something. You said that you would make us into fishes of men. You told us that if we focus on you and follow you, that whatever it is that you do with us, the end result of that will be the catching of men, the drawing of people into heaven, Father. And Lord, we thank you for uh, that message this morning, God. I want to thank you for the truth of your word. I pray as we go from this place this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would seal these words in our hearts. Don't let the troubles of life, the issues of the world, snatch them away. Don't let us get sidetracked. Father, I pray against any mentalities that, uh, Lord, it would be very easy for us to walk out of here and just start picking it apart. And, but what about, but what about, but what about? Father, I just pray that, uh, uh, Lord, that, that this message would be received in the way it's intended, Lord. That, God, yes, there are many things we can be doing and should be doing, but there's one thing that we have to be doing and that is proclaiming the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to all of humanity. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for each of us this week. Give us opportunities. Give us opportunities to show the reality of God to people, to love people, to care for people. God, give us opportunities to pray for the sick. Give us opportunities, Lord, to speak of what you've done in our lives to others. Give us divine opportunities, Lord. Not stressing out, trying to make things happen, but God, just let us know in our spirit, I have set this up. I've set this up for you. And give us the boldness and the faith to step out and make the most of those opportunities. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Get along to the war room if you get a chance. Pray for me because I can't make it to the war room. I say prayer. God bless.